the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's going to be a hot summer, but not when you're driving. BNR Auto is your first name in affordable AC repair in San Antonio. Located downtown at 2401 West Commerce, our specialists will check your air conditioning for free. Call us at 215-1519 for all your car or truck repair services. We do the repair work no one really wants to do, and we do it right. Don't drive in this heat. BNR Auto stands for Burr. Mention the Bible Live for a 10% discount. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live lead. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Looking forward to getting your calls tonight as we continue our way through the book of books, through the Bible. Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at some passages that come from the books of Corinthians, the two epistles, the two letters that Paul wrote to the congregation there in Corinth. And we, we started this topic last week uh, as we talked about uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and and uh, Esther. And we talked about uh, Paul dealing with the men and women uh, of faith there in Corinth. And we talked about the idea that it, uh, faith... It, is uh, that we're in a battle zone here you know, as believers, as people of God, and those who genuinely, truly follow after the true and living God. Uh, it's not, we're in hostile territory. There's no, it's a difficult place. And of course, we saw that in both uh, Esther, as the people of Israel were in a foreign land. They were being, uh, they were in the middle of a time of exile, and they were having to learn how to live for God uh, in, in hostile territory, and the same thing's happening with the Corinthians, and we'll continue that 
uh, that study tonight, the, the finishing up the book of 1 Corinthians and then going right on into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians uh, and talking about the uh, dynamic there of uh, this, this people uh, tr- who had discovered the gospel and discovered the idea of a confident, secure relationship with the true and living God and trying to walk it out, trying to live it, trying to experience God in the te- in the midst of a very hostile, uh, pagan, uh, uh, I- idolatrous generation in time, uh, so an uh, era in the in the in the world history. So anyway, we'll we'll continue through First and Second Corinthians, picking up in chapter twelve. Uh, of course, opening up with that beautiful. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what is called the love chapter of the scriptures. And wow, it is a very powerful, beautiful piece of literature, no doubt about it. And a powerful uh, a powerful dose of truth about the ultimate impact of the gospel in our lives, that we become men and women, people who are able to love, to give ourselves away in benefit of others, uh, even sacrificially to help and give to others, even as God has done so for us. Uh, we we become so secure in our relationship with Him that we can afford to then give ourselves away in in, in love, in uh, loving sacrifice for to others. What a, what an amazing thought, really! Uh, I think it's probably at the foundation or the core of what it is to be the people of God in our world today, anywhere at any time for that matter. So we're going to talk about that. Jacob has some insights coming from the Book of Corinthians that uh, to the Corinthians that really might surprise you because next week we're going to pick up uh as we finish the book of corinthians we're going to pick up with the book of job and uh believe it or not he sees some very clear connection between paul's uh letter and his teachings to the people of corinth and the book of job so i think that's going to be very interesting for us to uh consider as well uh, Jacob, how you uh, doing? And what's well, actually, your mind? I was doing really good, and then this afternoon, late this afternoon, I started kind of getting uh, allergies again. But I think I'm okay. Your voice is still that amazing, beautiful sort of a uh, mm, uh-huh. <laughs> beautiful voice that we've grown accustomed to. So, uh, at least it's not affecting your uh, your. Uh, it's your funny money because I can't hear it, but it's okay. You can't. <laughs> that's well. Could be fortunate, some people would say. Well, <laughs> yes, I've never listened to what I had to say anyway. <laughs> no, but you are an expert in your own opinion. I, I, I remember I that. Well, here's one thing. he You came with a great idea today, and I need to make sure that people feel free to do this. Not only are we going to ask you a few question, questions from these passages of Scripture, from the Psalms and the Proverbs, and from the books of First and Second Corinthians tonight, we always invite you to ask any question on your mind and on your heart. Maybe there's some question about uh, about God, about the Scriptures, about what it is to know God, walk with God, live with God, serve God. Uh, maybe you have questions about uh, anything uh, at the, to do with our faith in, in the world we live in today. Well, you're certainly welcome to ask those questions as well, and Jacob will answer them, each and every one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't hear a word. Accurately and in great detail. <laughs> no, we'll both give it our best shot. We'll respond from our hearts and from our understanding of the scriptures, and maybe we can at least uh, give an idea or a thought that would give you an, a fresh approach to any of the questions you might have. But you're certainly welcome to call us during the program 
uh, if there's any question uh, about this great old book, the Bible, and, and about what it teaches us. So be, feel free to ask any question, and we invite you, of course, to have opinions and insights and thoughts that are different from our own. Uh, we're, we are open to hearing your thoughts, and we've heard a few that that we agree with, some that we disagree, some that, you know, that's interesting. It, it's a possible way to look at the passage. Um, maybe we agree or don't, but, uh, you know, there is a lot of freedom. Uh, in that relationship with God. There's a lot of freedom in that. And, and uh, we we look to the Scriptures as our authority, but maybe you have a different take on this particular passage or a particular teaching. So we, we invite you to share that. We're not worried about it. You won't mind if we uh, respectfully and lovingly disagree at times, or maybe you'll be the one that says, oh, you've really given me an insight I that I, I need, that I like. So don't worry about sharing uh, any question you have and any opinion uh, that might be different, we'll, we'll take it seriously and we'll move right along. Well, the phone number is 340-9585, 340-9585. Anytime in the next, uh, I was going to say 90 minutes, but we've already used up eight of them. So uh, what is that, 72, uh, 82 minutes? Uh, you can give us a call and be a part of the program called The Bible Live here at the Quiz Show on the weekend. Let me give you a couple of questions from the Psalms and the Proverbs. And then Jacob has gotten some questions uh, selected from the books of First and Second Corinthians. Um, in Psalm 96, it mentions a number of different ways that we can worship God. A number of different ways that we can worship God. So can you just name one of the ways mentioned, some way that is mentioned in the book of Psalm, the Psalm 96, one of the ways that is mentioned that we can worship the Lord. Uh, like I said, they're not just one size fits all. There's a little bit for, for every different temperament and personality and approach. So uh, give us a call if you'd like to share one of those. Psalm 96. Now from the Proverbs, I'm going to read to you a proverb from, uh, I, I think it is Solomon, one of Solomon's Proverbs, or one that he gathered at least. And I want to ask you to give me the meaning to this proverb, all right? Are you ready? Stolen bread tastes sweet, but it turns to gravel in the mouth. <laughs> Stolen bread tastes sweet, but it turns to gravel in the mouth, all right? So give us a call if you'd like to give us a thought about what does that mean? What is that, per that proverb intended to um, communicate to us? Uh, then... Here's another one. Uh, hmm. I like this one. Psalm, uh, Proverb chapter 21. Proverb 21, 31. Victory belongs to the Lord, but we must still do something. What is it? Victory belongs to the Lord, but there's still something for us to do. What is it? Look at Psalm 21, 31. What is our part? of the uh, formula there of, of in, in the battle to try to gain the victory. What is our part? Victory belongs to the Lord, but we must do what? All right, Jacob, let's go to First and Second uh, Corinthians. What okay. do you got for us? I think poor uh, John's been trying to get a hold of you. Okay, John is trying. Okay, right. good. Uh, Bob is on the line. Okay. You so want to go to Bob first? You want uh, to put it's out up to you. you? Put out a couple of questions. All and right, okay. Bob, uh -huh. you stay with us. Now, don't uh -huh. go away. Uh-huh. Okay, one of the questions that I found fascinating in your list of questions was your number four. 
If Jesus was not resurrected, what value does Christianity have? The answer is in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19. I found that a very interesting question. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a proposition that sometimes I don't really want to look at, but we have to if we're going to be honest. Well, we have and to. And what's fascinating to me is um, uh, I'm afraid I might become harder for Christianity's sake than you on that, perhaps. <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking you might. That's what I was thinking as well. You might. Okay, the other one that I found very interesting is in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Paul talks about the first Adam, then the second or last Adam who is the second or last Adam, 1547. Oh, you're in 2 Corinthians. No, I'm in 1st. That's number 6. You're number 6. Oh, sure, sure. There it is. Okay. All right. Well, you want to do another one real quick? Or? Uh, Yeah, go ahead one more and while we're bringing uh, um, okay. Bob up on the line. Let's bring up something that's really interesting. Uh, not that the others weren't. Okay? Yes. Okay, so... This is really interesting. Yeah, everybody. this is really interesting. And I know this is out of order a little bit, but you're number 21, which is in 2 Corinthians I like 12. it. I like it already, yes. Uh, 7-8 to, uh, says, <clears throat> God said three times to Paul, of which if the, blah, blah, blah. He says it, no. <laughs> it's a terrible thing when a bad thing happens to a good sentence. Uh <laughs> God said no three times to which of Paul's prayer requests, 12, 7, and 8. Okay, so that is an interesting So the great Apostle Paul prayed for something, and God said no. I want to hear about that. Okay. That's, that's interesting. And, and I do want to point out just one thing. As I was do, looking up some things and searching stuff backwards through time and in uh, and, and memorial. You have a time machine over at your house or I, something? I, I have books. They call it books. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, But, you know, yeah, and I, I was moved by the fact that you, once again, have identified something in Second Corinthians that actually references Job. Would you like to know what it is? Mm, you probably do. I'm still trying to guess it, but uh, yeah, hold it for, hold it. keep okay. me in tension for a little bit. Maybe okay. our listeners as well. All right. If you can, if you think of that, folks, if you see a passage, is it Second or First Corinthians? It's Second. Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Uh, that, actually, uh, yeah, Second Corinthians. That harkens back to the Book of Job. Uh-huh. If you know about that, let us know. We'd like to hear from you. All right. Let's go and talk with Bob first, though. Tonight, he's on the air with us from here in San Antonio. Hello, Bob. How are you tonight? I'm hanging in there, Soapy. I uh, hope you're well, and I uh, hope Jacob's well. And uh, I, uh, as is my want, I write out the scriptures uh, letter by letter and word by word, and uh, verse by verse, and chapter by chapter. And for some reason, I, I was in Deuteronomy 13 and 14 this week, but uh, I, for some reason, my cross-references took me over to uh, the Amorites, who were in... Um, uh, being discussed with Abraham, and that, that there's a, a scripture there that says, that, uh, you, Abraham, your your offspring are going to be taken away for four generations, and they're going to come back when the iniquity of the Amorite is full. And uh, the word iniquity has to do with an unfairness. Uh, uh, it's called awan. Uh, it's an unfairness. It's a kind of sin that's an unfairness that is carried out. And I studied about the Amorites, and they were uh, on either side of the Jordan. 
and uh, they were on the west side of the Euphrates, but they began to infiltrate uh, into Mesopotamia, and uh, they were savages, and they were into the black arts, but they, as they integrated into uh, Mesopotamia, they became civilized and blended in and uh, uh, just kind of merged in, kind of like a melting pot, you might say. Mm -hmm. So there were uh, two branches of these Amorites, and one of them turned out to be Hammurabi, who also may be Amraphel, one of the kings of the... Uh, the four versus the five. So uh, now, Hammurabi wait, may have second, been. Bob. Was, yeah. was Hammurabi the famous Hammurabi of the mm -hmm. battle yes. against the Romans with had the elephant yes. and everything? No, no, that's a. Oh, uh, now that I don't know. I, I, I'm talking about the Hammurabi of the law code okay. over no, in it's Babylon. Not. It's not. Jacob had just shook his head, uh -huh. and his finger at me. Uh -huh. and said, no, no, no. You're way uh -huh. right. Oh, Bob's referring to Hammurabi code. Okay, the Hammurabi. Yes. Code. Okay. Yes. It's it was it's a much inferior uh, code to to uh, the Torah, but it's a it's a primitive code of of doing right and not doing wrong and uh -huh. and. Uh, uh, you know, treat, uh, treating other people's property correctly, uh, not hurting other people, and uh, punishments are, are involved. But uh, he was an he was an Amorite, evidently, but uh, of the civilized variety that had moved east into into Mesopotamia. But I'm thinking, what, what about these Amorites? For the iniquity shall be made full in in 400 years or in four generations. Uh, there was no law code given. The Torah had had not been given at this point. Now, you, you might say the uh, Noachite had been given, but uh, what was this iniquity that the Amorites were going to get full of? And uh, the, the verb uh, is uh, shalom, but uh, shalom, but the same meaning, uh, shalom is complete peace, but their, their iniquity will be complete iniquity. Uh, shalom uh, turns into a, something of an adverb. An adjective. Right? And, um, yeah. mm -hmm. And uh, now, let, but, me, uh, let me get what, what do you think the iniquity of the Amorite is uh, that becomes full? Let me and let, because uh, is, is, could it be something that, uh, that, that some form of, of, of righteousness uh, and, and, and code that they had that Hammurabi uh, put together in a, a civilized form, and did they have something even in their hmm. even in their savage form? That uh, to some degree, where they, they had a standard that they were violating. Uh, All right, let me, uh, let, evidently. Let me, Bob, let me set the table a bit, and I want to get uh, Jacob actually to. He's such a good uh, this historical type questions and, and developments. I, I would be interested in his take, but I guess I want to set the table a bit in that what we're talking about is when God in the Book of Genesis is talking to Abraham, and he's telling yes. him about I'm going to give you this land uh we're talking about canaan uh, the problem what became the yes. land. he said i'm going to give you this land and, and and he's looking into the future he said uh 400 years from now uh right you'll have it but but the sin or the iniquity of the people who live there the canaanites would be come to fruition would come in other words would become so vile that the time of judge it would be time of judgment of god on them yes and god would use it would be uh, Israel as a me mechanism or as a means of judging the yes of, and that's what you're talking about is that, that yeah, uh, coming well to yes it, it, uh, yes it is uh this fullness mm -hmm. apparently with it, when it becomes full then you get a you get a collective guilt 
for, for the whole society, and then you can come in, and, and the Israelites can come in and, and without fear or favor, say, we're going to eradicate this, uh, this enemy and take possession of the land and dispossess them and take possession. Or at least drive uh, them out, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Started, uh, uh, Bob, pardon me. When you first started talking, you mentioned Deuteronomy. Is that correct? I did. I, I was in Deuteronomy 13 and 14, and for some reason my cross-references took me over to to, to, uh, right. to Genesis. Yeah. Okay, first let's lay some boundaries here. Uh, you'll find that in Jeremiah it talks about the cup and iniquity was finally full against certain civilizations. Mm. Yes. And even mm. as uh, I know you're a, a follower of Jesus, and uh, and even he talks about uh, the the please take this cup of iniquity from me. He wow. Prayer. Yeah. So the cup of an iniquity is actually, first of all, just to get some groundwork here, cup of iniquity is intentional sins against your fellow human being. Yes. And it's it's the verb uh, uh, awan in, in, in the Hebrew as opposed to the chata. Yeah, chata, yeah, that would be a sin, yeah, huh? And awon is the, is the iniquity or the something unfair, yeah. but it's done in a way that's a known sitting on purpose to take advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, now let's go ahead and visit Hammurabi just for a second, just so we have some uh, borders on this. Haha, plan works. Sure. Okay, Hammurabi did develop something called the Hammurabi Code. Every society has always addressed. Uh, some type of justice, property rights, protecting what you want. Every society, no matter how primitive or modern, do that. However, the Hammurabi Code allowed slavery. It also was established on class uh, class status. In other words, for example, yes. if I were to steal something from a high-class person and under the Hammurabi Code, I could lose my arm, my hand. But if yes. I call it from a poor person, I may or may not even have to pay it back. So it distinguished between the quality of human beings. So it was totally based mm-hmm. on property rights, but it was really based upon protecting the higher classes. Okay? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now, when you're talking about the Amorites, yes, what well, you've heard the term in the uh, Tanakh, in the Jewish Old Testament, the, uh, that uh, God is long-suffering, right? Yeah. Yes, that would be yes, Bob. Say yes, Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's a yes. Yes, okay. Bob. Okay, so, so what you've got is long-suffering is, is an act kind of mercy. In other words, the cup is not full. Of, the cup of iniquity is not full. In other words, one or two acts doesn't make bad things happen to some group of people. But if they continue to do it, the cup will be full. And you'll find a really mm-hmm. good explanation of that in the book of Jeremiah, what that means, the cup mm-hmm. of iniquity. And so, that, but it's intentional. It's not uh, negligent. It's not, quote-unquote, yes. sin. And so, pardon me, what's happening is, is that when they keep doing this, now you also, you've identified correctly about the Amorites. However, as Sophie identified also, they're a member of the Canaanite nation, right? Yes, yeah. and there's some discussion that Amorite may be both a, a specific term but also a general term yeah. to the, the, the inhabitants of, Can- of Canaan. 
who else has mentioned the Perizzites, the Hittites? Oh, there's seven. Amorites, yes. Seven, huh? Yes. In fact, I personally believe that when uh, Jesus in the New Testament is referring to about you sw- get rid of one and seven Babylons come back, I think he's referring to the spirits of those seven tribes because mm. that's the religions. Interesting. At any rate, uh, Bob, what you're talking about, you know, part of the Canaanite religion was was child sacrifice. So you'll okay. find that one of the primary things, the reason... The last straw that broke the camel's back was when they were doing child sacrifice. Even today, there's four or five altars that they have discovered that were still used by the Canaanites. I know this is going to sound horrible and graphic, but there's also some thought that the longer they could sacrifice a child and keep him conscious without passing out from pain, the closer they were to communicating with, quote-unquote, the other side. So the last straw that broke the God's back, you might say, with their iniquity, their cup of iniquity, because that's intentional, is in their religion and their God, they did child sacrifice. And you will find a passage where it says they were kicked out of the land because of their child sacrifice. So they kept doing this iniquity. Had they stopped and had they changed the ways of treating other human beings, perhaps the long-suffering uh, feelings of God would have continued on for a long time, but they <laughs> continued on with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we mentioned about the 400 years that uh, God was, Abraham was told by God that in 400 years you're going to get this land because he's telling the time when the iniquity, cup of iniquity, will be full. And so I find very interesting, I don't want to get sidetracked on this, but you will notice yeah. If you go back and you do the mathematics, and Sophie's a mathematician, he adds and subtracts. He does just fine. I multiply yes, sometimes. He's got a uh, big family. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's got, he's got, anyway. Uh, he, but you'll find that to derive 400, you must take the years of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you add okay. those years that they were out of the land together to get yes. 400. Yes, the, 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 those, those kids were going to stay, and in, in, they would be in the land, and then and then their kids would be in Egypt, and then you add it all up, it's 400. That's as do you Do you agree with that? Oh, sure, I agree with that. Yeah, I did it when I first said it, uh-huh. and I agreed after you said it, too. <laughs> I do, too. You, you, you were oh, no. is accurate. Bob, thank you for calling in. There's our music. Our segment is over for this first 30 minutes, but... Great, great question, great insights. Thank, Thank you for bringing it up tonight. Do you want to stay on the line and, and let us send you some uh, tickets to Splashdown this summer? Bob? Uh, I guess we lost Bob. We're, we're offering you that tonight, folks, for being a part of the program. If you'd like to get a couple of tickets to Splashdown for you or the grandkids or whoever you might like to let them use it, you can uh, count on that as part of our right. gift back to you for being Rich a part of the program. Rich and the other folks, the 10 that are holding on, whoever, the 20, hang on. Hang on there, all right. Our phone number is 340-9585, and we'll be right back.
Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Dennis Prager here with an important message. We spend our whole lives taking care of those we love. However, statistics show that over half of all adults fail to have a will prepared. Giving the gift of a well-prepared estate plan is one of the most loving things you can do for those you care about. So let me introduce you to Charlie Weisinger with Weisinger Law Firm. Charlie is an estate planning attorney who takes the time to get to know you and your family and your goals and desires for them. Charlie makes the process simple. Most clients have a plan in place in as little as two visits. Give Charlie Weisinger and his staff at Weisinger Law Firm a call today. Your first consultation is free. Weisinger Law Firm is conveniently located one mile north of 1604 in Selma, Texas. You can reach him at 210-308-0800. That's 210-308-0800. Or online at WeisingerLawFirm.com. W-E-I-S-I-N-G-E-R LawFirm.com. This is Hugh Hewitt for TownHall.com. The United States of America isn't defined by Beltway or Manhattan elites, nor by those in Los Angeles or Silicon Valley. The mainstream media gets its cues from the collective consciousness of these four isolated reserves of great power, wealth, and fame. Donald Trump's sparring with elites, though, is deeply satisfying to much of the rest of the country that does not live in those four sectors. At least that sparring is satisfactory most of the time. There's a limit, however, to how much good the president does by dominating media. The president met and exceeded that limit with his escalation of his war with Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski via tweets. Those tweets were wrong because they were cruel. They don't energize the base, except that it's far fringes. They shrink it. Americans do love contact sports. We swoon for heated rhetoric. If President Trump can resolve to stay combative but back off cruel, it won't matter whether he tweets once or a hundred times a day. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Join Barry Bass every weekday morning for the KSLR Morning Ministries, including Through the Bible, Renewing Your Mind, Truth for Life, and Focus on the Family. Weekdays from 6 to 10 on AM 630 KSLR This is The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. We are back. We are back. Thank you for joining us. This is The Bible Live. Uh, We've got another hour here to take your calls and your comments and your thoughts and even your questions. As Jacob wanted to make sure we put out tonight, we would love to get your questions about the Bible, about biblical truth, about what it is to know God, walk with God, and and so on. Uh, enjoy the confident, secure relationship with God. That is, uh, what, to me, it is very clear that's what the Scriptures offer us, an opportunity to know God in this life, to experience His presence, His power, uh, His uh, encouragement, and uh, the joy and delight of walking hand-in-hand with God through life, and uh, confident, secure relationship, and then right on in 
to eternity. Yeah, that's that's the idea. So uh, maybe you have a question about that process or about what it means or some detail of it. We'd love to hear from you. 340-9585. And maybe you have a question to some of the questions, an answer to some of the questions that we have put out on the airwaves tonight. I'll go back through those in just a moment. But I think right now let's go ahead and get, uh, we have two callers online. I believe number four here is Richard. Richard, thank you for joining us tonight. We're glad to he- hear from you. Hello, Sophie. Hello, Jacob. Uh, uh, hey, the question about uh, getting uh, God's attention, I believe it was. Yes, okay. Turn your radio back off in the background. We're getting an echo. All right, Richard? Okay, right. I did. All right, thank you. Uh, that was one of the questions about getting God's attention. Yes. And uh, I believe the, one of the answers is praying. Okay, name one of the ways mentioned in Psalm 96 that we can worship the Lord, or as you say, I don't think it's a bad idea, the idea there of getting God's attention, worship Him, uh, and connect with God. And one of those, let me see here if I, in the list. um, Yeah, you know, it is actually, that is a good answer, but it's not one of the specifics in Psalm 96, Rich. It's not, actually, it's behind it. For for example, uh, one of the ways we can worship the Lord is sing to the Lord. That's one of the ways mentioned in Psalm 96. And in a way... Our singing can become a prayer, much like the Psalms in the Old Testament. You know, many of them were simply prayers to the Lord. And uh, uh, well, what about Sophie? You, what about keeping faith? Keeping faith? Yes. Yes. I, let me see. Let me see. I'm looking for one. I, I'll tell you wh- what I have. One of them is uh, uh, singing. Another is witnessing to others about God, telling others about His good good deeds and His goodness and greatness. And write or publish about him. Well, publish is a prayer. Publishing is is a prayer? Okay. <laughs> Very loosely uh, interpreted, publish is a prayer. And then it says personally personally revere him. When I think that might be what you have in mind when you talk about live in a, a righteous, good life. You know, personally revere him. Give all you, mean by just, you mean by talking to him with yourself and God? Yes, and, and, and talking, uh, communi- commu- worshiping God through the way you live, by treating others well and kindly, lovingly. And, and another right. way it mentions here is offering to God, uh, giving help to God or giving to others in the, in the Lord's name uh, is a way okay. of, of uh, worshiping. And finally, as you said, living for him. Um, I think that's probably more akin to what you're saying. Uh, that's, the, that, that's the best way to do it, I believe. Uh, well, it makes sense, and it's one. It is on the list, Rich, for sure. Those are the different ways that we can worship the Lord. Uh, Sophie, I want to try and ask, ask, answer another question. The one about victory. Let me see. Victory belongs to the Lord, but what is it we must do? Uh, first, uh, pray and ask for God's help first. Well, that is a good, good answer. It's not the answer I'm looking for because I, I want you to give me the answer that's right there in that verse, uh, Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one. It, it, it says the horse uh, is prepared for the day of victory, but what? I mean, victory belongs to the Lord. So, what is it we have to do? Uh, I do not have my Bible in front of me, Sophie. Well, uh, I just I just told you. Listen to the verse, Rich. 
The horse is prepared for the day of victory, but victory belongs to the Lord. So if victory belongs to the Lord, but what is our part? We have to saddle the horse up. I'm stumped. We have to saddle the horse up. We have to prepare the horse for the day of victory, for the day of battle. Are you saying victory belongs to the horse? (laughs) Victory belongs to the horse. Well, you know what? In today's climate, I think that would be uh, almost true. Uh, Well, I I, I can understand that. Uh, I, I believe that. There's a part that we share and that we get. We have to take our step of faith. We take right. preparation, but but victory actually comes from the Lord Himself. That, that's a, I yeah. like that. See, I was I was going by what it said. I was going by what it said in the Bible, where the uh, Israelites were asking Egypt to help, and God said, "Why did you ask Egypt for help first before me?" Mm. You know that that's what I was basing that on. That's a good uh, no, and what you said was a good perspective and a and a, and a true. From a different perspective, but I'm looking for, I was looking for the answer from that particular verse of scripture, uh, Proverbs 21:31, and to quote it, it says, "The the horse is prepared for the day of victory, but victory for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord." And I, I that's I, I like that verse. I think it's something that you know, teaches us something so practical. Rich is such a nice guy. Ask him number four. I'm number four, Rich. Rich we got see, another question see, for you. Let's hear your reaction right? to this. This is, this is already asked out there, but we'd like to get your thought on this. If, All right. If Jesus was not resurrected, he, if he did not come back from the dead, as was predicted, as he predicted, what value does Christianity have? Christianity is a religious system. What does it have? What value does it have if Jesus is not resurrected? Jacob is interested well, for, in knowing what you would think, what, how you would answer that question. For one thing, I doubt if the converts that uh, the apostles converted, I doubt if they would give up. Uh, I think they would keep the faith. That's that's number one. They would have kept what and they num- had. Num- and number two, uh, even though he showed himself to them, uh, I, I don't think that was a, a, a big a deal as they already had a lot of faith in him, even though he was dead. So uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have made any difference. Hmm, I think the, I think the religion side effect, Rich. Uh, I think the, as, as, we, as we learned from the Gospels, so Jesus walked walked around for about three years. Uh-huh. He was preaching. His disciples kept preaching, and that was all prior to his death or and or resurrection. So yeah, what? If there were no resurrection, what would have happened had everybody listened to Jesus? Then maybe there would have not had been a resurrection. Would that affect the value of Christianity? Christianity. Hmm. hmm. What if? What if? Yeah. I, I don't. Really I don't think it would have. Telling everybody. Go ahead, Rich. I don't. Re- I don't really think it would have. Hmm. It made any difference. I know that sounds uh, maybe uh, a little bit unorthodox, but. Uh, I think the uh, religion and the faith would have stayed there. Well, Paul Paul says that if Jesus was not genuinely, truly resurrected from the dead, that our faith is in vain. It's not really worth anything, and, and which is a very interesting uh, perspective, and I think Jacob takes exception to it, as, as you do in, in terms of your general opinion. I kind of agree with Paul. I think personally that I would not be 
I simply would not be interested in Christianity if it were not true. Well, look at all the miracles he performed. I mean, just the, the simple one, walking by the fig tree. Yes. Uh, and when, when the next time he said, we didn't come by, it'd be dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he, he performed so many miracles, it wasn't funny. Yeah, but none of those compare with somebody coming back from the dead. I have superintended, I have, uh, I have preached too many funerals <laughs> to, to equate, you know, something like that with actually a person coming back alive after they were dead. That, that is so powerful a sign. And of course it had to be if Jesus was the Messiah, if he was the Savior, it, he had to not lie. He, it was said very clearly that the the uh, body of the Messiah would not corrupt, would not die, go to the grave, would not uh, uh, rot in the grave. Let's put it that way. And so he had to resurrect. And Jesus himself said he would resurrect. So if he had not done it, it would have been an indication, a clear indication that he was not, in fact, uh, the Messiah. He was not the Redeemer, the Savior that that he claimed to be. Uh, Rich, would you like us to send you some um, tickets to Splashtown for the grandkids or for anyone? I, um, uh, Sophie and Jacob, I don't, uh, I just live alone and I just uh, uh, listen to your program and listen to the radio and I need a simple life. I sure am glad to have you, part, to be part of your simple life. I appreciate so much you letting us share, sharing with us some of your thoughts and ideas, some of the things you've learned and insights you've gained from, from seeking the Lord. Thank you, brother, for calling. We're, we're going to keep talking about the topic you brought up, I'm sure of that. All right? Have a good night. All right. Talk to you later. Careful. Uh-huh. Thank you, Rich. Good to visit with him tonight. And let me see. We're going to go and visit now with um, Harold. I Harold, I believe, is on the line. Hi, Harold. How are you this evening? Hi. Pretty good, good Sophie Dollar. I got my socks pulled up almost up to my knees. You got your socks yeah. pulled up? I thought you said you had your thoughts, T-H-O-U-G-H-T. No, no, my, my socks. Wow. Yeah. I know I, I I do agree with what Rich had said, and, uh, you know, but I think, you know, you brought up what Paul had said. Uh, you know, because it wouldn't be without a resurrection. But to me, that he has to say that because you remember Jesus met him on the road. Why are you persecuting me? So for him to have said that, he has to say the other. <laughs> and um, you know, so he you know he did write that down. So he's got to continue the story. Yeah. But but you know, but back in the ancient times, you know, people didn't really need. Jesus to be literal son of God, literally, to like what he said or preach. But anyway, that, uh, I'm not trying to preach. But anyway, what I called about, I do have a question. I have a thought first. And uh, uh, a que- In Numbers chapter 23, verse 15, this is very exciting. Uh-huh. It says, then, then Balaam said to the king, stand here by your burnt offerings while I go over there and meet the Lord. Now think about that for a minute, and I don't. So my question is, doesn't have anything to do with what the Lord said afterwards in the next four or five verses. But He said, "You stay there, and I'm going to go meet the Lord." Well, how many people get to say that? Now, if you can think about that for a second, my main question is: At um, I was at the temple Friday night, my wife and I actually, and we were in Numbers 24, and I have my King James. 
Bible with me, and that's, you know, that's a pretty top-notch Bible, really. And uh, I was sitting next to a guy named John. I always happened to go on donkey night, you know, the speaking donkey. It seems like every year I make it that time. But I was are in, you, I was in shock. That you're the speaking donkey, or is that the idea? I might be by the time this is over. <laughs> but, uh, but, but uh, you know, chapter, uh, 24, verse 8, it says, and I'm serious, really, it says, God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath as, as it were the strength of a eunuch, I mean, a unicorn, he, he shall eat up the nations and his enemies. And so I leaned over this guy, John, next to me. And I said, were there unicorns back then? You know, what the King James says unicorns. Other Bibles say dogs. I think the JPS or what the rabbi was saying was dogs with horns. And But I'm saying what, you know, I even asked her. I said, you know, my version says unicorns. And she says, well, I like unicorns. And so this uh, friend of mine next to me had said that he heard stories. Like he's... Wade knows a lot more than I do, that they actually used the skins of unicorns to keep the Ark of the Covenant covered. Now, that's my main question. You know, somebody's going to go over and meet the Lord. He Jacob, might... Jacob has the answer. I said, I said earlier okay, that yeah. I'm going to answer every one of these questions. Yeah. He knows. Well, that would explain why there are no unicorns, because they used all the skins. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that, it. We finally that's what happened to me. The question of the universe. What, what happened yeah, well, to you? What is it you, happened well, to you? Well, what happened to me was I had thought I had turned my phone off uh-huh. because I always turn my phone off, and apparently I didn't do it, and my ringtone is the Indiana Jones theme. Yeah. And right when the rabbi had said, you know, these talking donkeys, we're going to talk about these donking, talking donkeys, and then my phone went off, and I didn't even realize it because I thought it, and people were looking at me, and I had to run out the back and answer my son's call. Well, he wanted to know where I was, but I told him, you said I could use the car, but he said he was sound asleep, so, and he didn't remember that. So they started to skin you? Is that the idea? Is that what yeah, I, I, don't, I think I might get skinned. Okay. No, but I'm serious. That's what, that's what John said. And uh well, let's look at it. And let's take a look at that passage in Numbers chapter 20. You were talking about chapter four. 23, and that's where uh, the, the whole context of this is when uh, King Balak, uh, the people of Israel, they were, they were, he was trying to get this, this prophet named Balaam who came from Babylon, from the east, right. and he had brought him over and paying him a great sum of money to put a curse on the people of Israel, and Balaam was in enough genuine touch with the, with God. I mean, he was one who probably was affected by, Im, impressed or, or influenced at least to some degree by, uh, no, that no, wouldn't be Daniel. but that, Actually, that he realm. was a relative of Laban. Of Laban, okay. So he knew the story, yeah. He knows the story, and he they do, you know, in Babylon, I mean, they do worship God, they you know, look for God to speak in the stars and so on and so on. And there was enough sincerity about him that he was very hesitant to curse the people of Israel. But, of course, the money was good, so he was being tempted to, uh, and to buy... Wow, he was being... <laughs> I'm so sorry, that was terrible. So tempted by was Balaam to, to curse the people of Israel. And now when you move into chapter 24... Uh, he's talking, uh, the message there is, uh, Balaam realized that the Lord was determined to bless Israel and so on. 
and he's telling the story of how God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, for them, he is as strong as a wild ox. And I had never heard the translation that he was as strong as a uh, a unicorn. I may have heard that. That's in the King James Version. That's in the King James. Yeah. But it, you're exactly right. I don't know what Jacob would do with that. Uh, let, let's let him comment on it. And then uh, th- appreciate you so much for calling in. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I'll listen on the air. Okay. All right. Go for it, Jacob. Uh, I think What's the, the old English was what they referred to. Uh, what is your Bible? Is it 24-8? Is what he 24-8, uh-huh. Uh, what, is it, what does it say? God brought them out of Egypt. For them, he is as strong as a wild ox. Yeah, he devours yeah. all the nations that yeah. oppose him, breaking their bones in pieces, shooting them with arrows. And yeah. So yeah I, I think I've, it's been explained to me that in the old English tradition in King James, they'd refer to an ox as a unicorn. So the version you got, I understand, is probably the more accurate. And there's been some language drift. And so I think the unicorn, what I've understood, was what they used a long time ago called uh, an ox. An ox. Yeah. So that's what I understand. Oh, they only ha- although they only had one horn in the middle of the, he- the head, right? Yeah, that's and it ate purple people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they were pink, right? Yes, pink uh, unicorns. Well, uh, anyway, there you have it. That's our, our. That's as deep as we're going to get in that particular segment. But let's go on tonight. We have these questions out on the air for you. Call in and interpret this proverb for us, if you can. Stolen bread tastes sweet, but it turns to gravel in your mouth. All right? That's Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17. We'd like to hear your take, your understanding of that piece of wisdom. What does that tell us uh, in today? And let me give you another one. Um, It is better to live alone in the corner of an attic than in a lovely home with whom? Now, you have to uh, consider the source of this particular proverb. Uh, This was a man. and It was a man who had marital problems. Uh, It was a man named Solomon. So what would he say? It is better to live alone in the corner of an attic than to live in a lovely home, even a palace, with whom? Look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9. Proverbs 21, 9 is the answer to that question. And frankly, it could be turned around the other way quite easily. But um, as my wife would surely let you know, and <laughs> you can... Uh, interpret that proverb that way if you'd like. But, uh, who is it referring to there? In living in a palace with whom? All right, now let's go down to the book of Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 45 and following. Paul ta- talks about the first Adam. Remember the Adam of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the uh, first humans uh, there in the story of creation. Talks about the first Adam. Then he talks about the second or last Adam. Who is this second or last Adam, according to Paul's uh, presentation in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Who is the second or last Adam? And maybe you can explain to us why uh, why he is referred to in that with that terminology, all right? And then uh, Jacob had this question. The great apostle Paul prayed to God, asking God for something three times. I mean, really, you would think the great apostle Paul would only have to ask once and it would be his. But he prayed three times and then God told him no. And the question is, what was the prayer request? And we might even ask the question, uh, once you tell us what was his prayer request, we might ask you the question, what does that mean? That prayer? What was he talking about? 
in that particular prayer request. Okay. Let's give them one more out there, Jacob. Do you have another one? Do you want to go to Joe? Because Let's we, do. Okay. Uh, Ross going to touch on the first five chapters of Job. Okay. Uh, Job, chapter, uh, in chapter one, ver- the question one is, in what ancient land did Job and his family live? Okay. And it's uh, very, very, very simple. It's only two letters. Yeah, it is not the Wizard of Oz, right? You no, know, it's you not. Know, it but it is a well-known land that we are presently in conflicts with in America. How about that? All right. In what ancient land did Job and his family live? And then let me ask you the second question. This might actually surprise some of you. What prompted the first conversation about Job between God and Satan? Uh, uh, you may not know the the book of Job. You, we know the big story of this guy who suffered so much and so on. But the whole story begins with a conversation between God and Satan. What was it that prompted that conversation? And you'll find the answer in Job chapter 1, verse 8. What uh, what kind of conversation did God and Satan have before as we set the stage for the book of Job, all right? You Give know, and since we're, since we're there, in chapter 1, it says, On one day, uh, some, uh, some people came in front of God. Uh-huh. What does anybody know what day that is? Oh, you oh you in that calendar of yours. Yeah. Oh. And then in chapter 2, it says again, one day the angels presented themselves before God. Now, so in chapter 1, it says one day. Chapter 2, it says one day. What are either one of those days? Well, give me a hint. Is it the same day? No, two okay. different days. And they are hint, 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 uh, 10 days apart. Okay. Okay, now there's a piece of conversation beginner in any setting. Okay, that surely is. Okay, what were these days on that mentioned in the book of Job, chapter 1? Uh, on one day, a certain thing happened. Uh, certain people gathered or came before the Lord to report or to talk. And in another day, what was the, what was the second day? Second day is uh, chapter 1 talks about one day. Chapter 2 talks about one day also. But what are those two days? And they're only 10 days apart. What does it say happened in the second day? Well, this in is the, the angels present themselves before Oh, again, God. the same uh, yes. thing kind of thing. It's the same thing. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It brings up a question in yes. my mind, too, then uh-huh. maybe from the New Testament. Right. Maybe a reference back to this. Good. Might. Oh, man, we gotta we got to hear from you on this. All right, so give us a call if you know the answer to that. That has really sparked a, a thought in my mind uh, as well. Some of you have somebody really wants to talk to you. All right. Victor is on the line. We want to talk with him as well. Hi, Victor. Good to hear from you. I so hope you do it. I'm glad to hear from you. There's that deep voice gravelly voice radio star who's not on the radio. I've always told you, you ought to be on the radio, Victor. Good to hear from you. It's been a while, my friend. Yes, sir. How have you been? Uh, I've been pretty good, you know. I'm I'm nearly 80 years old. Lord, has been good to me. Good for you. uh, Good for you. Are you strong and healthy? Well, I, I have been healthier and stronger when I was young. Yes, yeah, we all have. But uh, well, I am glad to hear from you truly. Well, what's on your mind tonight? What you got well, an answer uh, or one, you got a question? No, for once I was. When you asked the last three questions, 
for the first three, I said, for once, I don't have to get my Bible that I remember it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the first answer was the the wife. <laughs> but what kind of wife? A little crabbier <laughs> or, or, you know, one that's always nagging or something like that. Crabby. What's the Hebrew word for crabby there, Jacob? Uh, yeah, you exactly right. <laughs> it says to, it's better to live in the corner of an attic than to live in a lovely home with a contentious or argumentative wife. And, of course, yes. that could be turned around uh, from the wife's point of view, a contentious or argumentative husband, of course, as well. But it, that, that's a perfect description of marital life. You know, we, we want to live in harmony and peace for sure. Good for you, Victor. Very good. We'll give yeah, you credit for a good answer there. What What other yeah, question do you know the answer to? The next one that you asked after that. Okay, let me see if I can find it. Okay. Um, um, let me see. I don't see it now. Is it talking about the last Adam or the, or the second Adam? Yeah, yeah. Let me put this down. The second or last Adam referred to in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. Who is that talking about? I believe it was talking about Jesus. Amen. An amen goes there. It is. Paul is saying that Jesus is indeed that next Adam. And when we come back, we're going to explain what does that mean? What does Paul mean when he calls Jesus the second Adam or the last Adam? Uh, we'll discuss it a bit when we come back. Thank you, Victor. Don't hang up now. Uh, okay. I'm going to want to talk to you for a second, all right? And everybody that's hanging on, hang out. All right. We'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to God's Talk Show, The Bible Live. You need to talk to God. You don't need to throw away. About tonight's Bible Live reading, you'll need a phone and this toll-free number, 877 be back. We're back on the air here with the Bible Live, the quiz show on the Sunday evening. Your chance to listen to each Sunday evening. We, we cover a portion of the, of the Bible. We make our way through the entire Bible every year. And so we, you're welcome to join us as we make our journey through the scriptures every year. Uh, tonight, we happen to be in the books of First and Second Corinthians. We'll read those, finish those two books in the New Testament. And then we'll go back to the Tanakh, to the Hebrew Scriptures, and pick up in Job, uh, the book of Job. Did we pick up something after that as well? Uh, I think no, so. we, well, we pick up Job, the first five chapters. I believe Ecclesiastes and uh, Song of Solomon come after that oh, as that's well. That's correct, yes. I believe. But, yeah, so we, we kind of we bounce back and forth between the uh, Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and then the, the New Testament, uh, the, the time of uh, Jesus, the time of Messiah, and the and the. Uh, in the uh, time of the Roman Empire. So uh, we make our way through the entire Bible every year, 
and we'd like for you to make the journey with us. And we ask you some questions, give you a chance to answer them, win some prizes, some tickets to Splash Town and other, uh, some of our, uh, our business sponsors. And we'll be glad to share those with you tonight as well. well where are we, Jacob? We've got a half an hour left. Uh, we see, wanna... We've got, uh, we've got, uh, oh, yes. Of, next couple callers are Bernadette and Esther. Oh, good. And we're getting some. From many, some women from the female I persuasion. They're calling they're gonna, about the contentious wife. I'm sure they're going to call about the contentious <laughs> wife comment. I, I, <laughs> I knew I was going to get in trouble, Esther, about that. But anyway, yeah, what, I did say it could be heard both ways, didn't I? No. It could be understood both ways, all right? But anyway, what's on your heart tonight, Esther? Good to hear from you. Oh, hi. I didn't know you were talking to me already. Oh, oh hi. I'm fine. Thank you. Good to be with you. I, I, Actually, I have two comments, and and then I'm intrigued. I want to hear uh, Jacob explain what he, uh, how he sees the connection between uh, Job and Corinthians. Yes, yes. But uh, the question you had from Psalms, I love that one. Uh, that scripture, uh, the battle, let's see, yes. uh, prepare for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord, it says in the King James. Yes. And uh, that one uh, means a whole lot. You know, it, it's one of those verses that you might read and not really uh, feel the weight of it. But uh, two examples of what that means in actual life is, like you plant a seed, and so that's your work, that's your part, but whether it grows or not is up to the Lord or the God of Israel. I've heard that and another, too, Esther. Remember, yeah. Paul makes reference of that, I think, in Corinthians, isn't it? Or is it... Um... Yeah, it is. You don't know how the seed grows. And then another one is yeah. uh, you go to the doctor, but you're sick, right? Yeah. And you should because uh, they're given wisdom and medications, but those are all tools. Healing is still in the hands of the God of Israel. So you do what you can. Yeah, so that's a real big. And then uh, Jacob's question about uh, the days, the two days. The first day that Satan, and I want to say every Christian out there listening, these, these feast days, these appointed times that are spoken of in the Bible, they belong to the God of Israel. And if you are his people, uh, you believe in him, you trust in him for salvation, uh, then these are your feast days, too. And so the very first one, uh, the head of the year, that's Day of Trumpet, Satan came with a whole bunch of other angels to, uh, you know, they they assembled before the God of Israel because why? They were summoned. Satan didn't just go up there and trot back and forth. On initiative, yeah. That's right. He he is a servant of of uh, the God of Israel, and uh, then he came back. He came on the feast of trumpet. And he, I guess he just stood there as the accuser and began accusing everybody. And that's how the subject of Joke came up. No, and then it wasn't. He, no, it wasn't. <laughs> now, I, it I mean, that's very interesting to me. Uh, I, and I'm not trying to be contradictory, but, uh, contrary, but no, I, was, I, was, I was surprised myself <laughs> by how the topic came up, how they even began their conversation it, it didn't. Mm. Satan didn't just didn't start up criticizing. Uh, it, 
actually God started the conversation. Yes. What did he? He said, "Have you considered my servant Job? How good he is." He started bragging on his child, his servant yes. Job. I've always thought yes. that was so interesting that the whole conversation, the whole thing started with God bragging on his on his servant. So Job. you're saying that God was wrong to brag on his loyal servant? <laughs> Could that be oh no no i think it's so to me i took it as something positive that isn't that wonderful that the way i live the way we live can actually bring joy and make we can actually make our god proud and and bring joy to him i that's the way I thought not, of it. yeah you don't think you're the one who thought of crying and laughing do you because you're only doing that because you're made in his image Right, exactly, because of his, uh, yeah, yeah, we were part of his image. But I, I like that. For some reason, I've always thought that was intriguing when I first discovered it, that the whole thing begins with God saying, hey, have you noticed my servant, Joe, how good a man he is? Yeah. I, I've always thought, well, because I, I never thought of the whole thing starting with with God, you know, kind of bragging on his servant, you know. And it, uh, I don't know. It just God, made me feel God, good. That, God, started, God started a fight, okay? Yeah, and I was hoping that maybe I got your perspective. You are so weird. Okay. I, I hope God says, to, says, have you noticed my servant, Esther, how wonderful she is, how godly is? Oh, I hope so. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, yeah. It would be wonderful. Yes, it would be wonderful. Well, it is. Yeah, but then, and back to the feast days, the Feast of Trumpets and Yom Kippur, we are going to get very close and personal with those days. And I rejoice to see that churches, uh, the, the uh, preachers there, are leading their congregations into understanding them and participating in them, observing them. Okay. So that's a wonderful thing. Well, are those but anyway. And, and Esther got it right? Wow, Esther, you're getting to be quite the expert here. That's great. I'm not sure I would have known the answer, but I'm so glad that you knew that. Can we send you oh, and yes, your family sir. some tickets to Splashtown? You no, actually, I went, on, I, I went on Splashtown one time on a cruise, and it was it was such an adventure. I think that'll last me until my oh, departure. Well, I do but thank you. so much for calling yeah. in. Thank you. Well, yeah, tell Jacob to answer the question about the connection between um, Job and Corinthians, All if you right. would. Oh, he's got you. He's going to do yeah. it right now. All right. Good, good. Go ahead, Jacob. Okay, well, I was just going to tell you, actually, when I was looking at it today, uh, in, uh, let's see, for, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, uh-huh. it says something very interesting. It says, we must be careful about the wiles of Satan. And I looked up historically, and they were actually had made some references in ancient writings that that was referring to Job. And so I thought that's interesting. It's 2.11, and it actually says that... Uh, See, I'll just find it for you real uh-huh. quick. And it says 211. And where am I at? Two, oh, wrong. 211. Is it 2 Corinthians? Yeah, 2 Corinthians. I'm sorry. All 2 right. Corinthians, and it says uh, 211. So that no advantage would be taken of, uh, taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And so, actually, when I was researching some of the ancient understandings of that, and it actually was saying that they made reference to Job, and I thought, how neat. So we picked that. Hmm. 
Well, uh, I, I'm so brilliant. Uh, <laughs> it well, was purely let's, so. Uh, let's grab Bernadette. Well, Bernadette is on the air with us right now, and uh, we're awfully glad to hear from you, Bernadette. We needed the feminine. We needed the female perspective tonight, as Esther just proved. Thank you for calling. You're welcome. We're glad. Uh, I actually, I was going to say the same thing as Esther, as far as Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, since it's ten days apart, it had to be those two days. Yeah. Um, but I'd have to disagree about who came to present themselves before God. Yes. My translation says that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Yes. Well, well angels aren't sons of God. True. You're exactly right. You, you, you are literally and totally and absolutely right there. I have no idea how to... Uh, Explain that or interpret that. You, but you are actually very. May very I right. offer a thought? Yes. You, right. I thought when you we go to, to keep you it. go to church on Sunday. I'm gathering soapy. Yes. Uh huh. When you walk into that physical earthly building called a church, mm-hmm. you're there, but in a different dimension, you're God. God is there, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you'll picture the Book of Job like that, so you, you the sons of God. I am pretty comfortable of who it's referring to. It's not angels. I know there's been some difficulty over historically understanding, so sometimes they'll translate it as angels. But it couldn't be angels because, first of all, as Bernadette said, they're not sons of God. That's true. But secondly, Satan is an angel. If, it, if there was just, if you're saying, well, angels came and another angel, Satan, came too, that doesn't make sense. The sons of God are people appearing before God on this holy day, Rosh Hashanah, and they're appearing on earth. But in a different dimension, God is there, and Satan, Satan, the accuser, the adversary, is up there in that dimension, shall we say, with God. So they're both there, but in two different dimensions, just like when you go to church. Okay, so you're suggesting that one day the members, it says here in this version, uh, the sons of God, or it said the members of the heavenly court, I don't know where they get that, came to present themselves before the Lord. So you're saying that would be the physical, Mm -hmm. earthly level. Evidently, uh, Job and other people who worship God were... Yes. Were uh, were they... uh, Rosh Hashanah, were they actually... Yes, on Rosh Hashanah, uh, people go, and as as Esther said, it's like a feast of trumpets, but it's Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. And you go and you present yourself. But this is Job, isn't he pre-Mosaic law? Thank you for bringing that up. Now, so and, and there is no before or after in Torah. There you go. So she's got it right. <laughs> so what you, see, All so right. the fact that those days appear in our scripture, maybe in Exodus and Leviticus, doesn't mean they did not exist. And so the sons of God had, they appeared before God, let's say on earth, but in the heavenly realms, let's say another dimension, God's there and Satan appears. Let me make sure I understand you two brilliant scholars here, Bernadette. In other words, the idea is that Rosh Hashanah or this time of gathering or the even some of the other festival days, the fact that Moses... Uh, formalizes them and for the people of Israel and so on, doesn't mean that they didn't exist before. Exactly. In in tradition or as a common practice or something. The the calendar of the year. That is correct. It's just Ah. just like an example. Well, see, I've always thought that, I always imagined that God just 
snapped his fingers and drew out of the pure nothingness these festival days, and they just he just he just chose them for some reason. But I I can see they may have already been to some degree. Well, a there's another example, people. and if you pick up on it, an example is remember Abraham when he circumcised himself and he's sitting in the doorway of his tent. Uh huh. Now take a look at that picture. What day could that possibly have been on? Circumcision and the door. Uh, well, it had to be Passover. It had to be. Go, you see. So, and why was Abraham asked to prepare a lamb, you know? See, all this stuff is going on. And if we're not sensitive and kind of watching out for those days to be in existence before <laughs> the people, we'll mess that. So the circumcision, because in the Exodus, a circumcision of the door frame uh-huh. is... Yeah. A Brit, it's a, a circumcision. <laughs> Abraham's in the doorway when the angels come. And so the same thing, it takes place in Exodus, takes place back when they go to Sodom and Gomorrah, you see. see. So it's all right there. So mm. it is Rosh Hashanah. Wow. And so those days existed. So they, the sons of God that obeyed God, went in the physical realm before God. But in the spiritual realm, mm. God was there and Satan was there. Bernadette, actually this is tying together tying together the scriptures in a way uh, far beyond even what i imagine and i've i've always i've always taught and and understood and taught that there is this unity of perspective and this this uh consistency of message throughout the scriptures but this takes it to a whole new level i th- it really uh, I, I really enjoy that very much, that idea, and I'm going to have to start reading the scriptures with that in mind. Because uh, I always, like I said, I always thought it was just kind of pulled out of the air as something that just started on that particular moment that day. Well, now, uh, you're talking about J- now, Job here. Go ahead. Jacob and, I, uh, Jacob and I have had some very good rabbis, and we've had one rabbi in particular who was a wonderful Torah scholar who reminded us frequently that there is no before or after in Torah. Hmm. Very, very interesting concept. It really is. Well, the thing I'm looking here is that, as you're saying, that this would be the people of God in, in one dimension, perhaps, as Jacob says. And then and spiritually, it says here that the the accuser, which which kind of makes sense. If the people of God are gathering, he's going to be there to accuse, to to uh, say, ah, oh, that one's a fake. He's a hypocrite. He did this. And, you know, I, I assume that's part of the function uh, that Satan, he deals in the in the area of information and uh, misinformation yep. and lies and deceit and, and the accuser. He's called some number of times, so that would put those well, two together. We, it would make sense, yeah. When we talk about him in Torah study, Satan is is how it's pronounced in Hebrew. We talk about him as God's prosecuting attorney. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. In fact, in the Catholic Church, you've heard of. Uh, uh, oh, the devil's advocate? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, in the Catholic Church, that's where they get this idea from. They put a person that's going to be a, become a saint that's nominated by the Catholic Church. They actually have a trial. They Everybody knows about Satan's advocate. But in the trial, they always, always have a Jesuit priest appointed as a God's advocate. So the whole trial takes place. The uh, Board of Cardinals is the jury. The Pope is the judge, you might say. So they're actually doing a trial, and they're copying it from this uh, passage. 
Um, that's amazing. Well, all of these are, it adds an, an element. And we're not even to the book of Job technically yet. We're going to start next week. But uh, it starts out with this, this meeting and this thing that you're talking about in chapter 1. This is going to be an eye-opener, I think, uh, to a lot of our believers. And, and it, it does make sense. It's consistent with the Scriptures. It's not some kind of wild out outlandish well, theory. Well, if it there is, sure. then the Jews from the very beginning made a big mistake. Big mistake, yeah. Well, Bernadette, something else. I'm sure you got something else for us, right? Please? <laughs> uh, no, I just came out to talk about Job. But it's well, uh, my favorite book. This, Bernadette, on Rosh Hashanah, uh, that's 10 days before. What basically is supposed to take place between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Yeah. Those are the days of atonement. We pray. Um, there's a lot of work to do those 10 days, as you know. We need to go to everyone who we have sinned against in the previous year, which is why I now live reminding myself that Rosh Hashanah is uh, coming and Yom Kippur follows shortly thereafter. So if I live every day knowing that Yom Kippur is coming, it, it shapes how I live my days. Uh, we go to people and we ask for forgiveness, and if they say no, we go back again. And if they say no, we go back a third time, as you know. And then if they say no a third time, then we can say, okay, well, then I'll ask God. And we uh pray during those 10 days, we um, make sure that we're right with God, because on Yom Kippur, when we ask God for forgiveness, we're not really allowed to ask God for forgiveness unless we've done our work with man first. That, Let me ask you yes, both a question. Yes, right. Does this have any time, anything to do with the uh, practice of sweeping out the home of, of Levin or... No, it's no, not. No, no, that, that's Passover. Okay, that's yeah, a whole different thing. Okay. Yeah. And, and Brenda, right, that's right. holiday. Yeah, for the 10 days, everything I did wrong, to, say I stole your radio on a Monday. Mm -hmm. On a Monday, I go back to you and say, look, I did wrong, and let me make it up to you. So between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is the makeup for my wrongs. Now you can do it any time through the year. But if you haven't, this is your deadline. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm do, I make, I buy you <laughs> like a new the first radio. two weeks of April for your yeah, time. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, um, so what happens is, is that for those ten days, if I did something wrong on a Monday, I fix it on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, whatever. So I've got that time period to make my wrongs towards human beings mm. corrected. Mm. Then when I appear in front of God on Yom Kippur or Day of Atonement, in the Machzor or the prayer book. It only mentions God. It never mentions other people. Because then you can say, look, God, I I really am truly repentant for what I did to Sophie or mm -hmm. John or anybody. And I've made up for it as best I can as a human being. And so when I appear in front of God, I can say I'm de demonstrating my repentance by the stealing or whatever I did to somebody. So I do it during that period. Then I appear only in front of God on Yom Kippur. That's why in chapter 2 and it says, and Satan's there, and the sons of God came. They're coming after they have made their corrections of their wrongs to other human beings. That's what that's exactly. about. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now, when are these days coming? You, I think you mentioned, Bernadette, that maybe uh, are these particular days coming fairly soon now in our calendar? October, in October. this year. All right, but we can and, and you know, it's do different. that any time. But it's the ten days is when it, the kind of the deadline. That, is. that would be your deadline, yeah. uh -huh. sort of speaking. Yeah. Choice and of course, it's different days every year. 
Yeah. Because we're, you know, obviously we're in the Hebrew calendar. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's fascinating. By the way, Bernadette, since I got you on the phone, if you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you know, there is a, uh, in Job, he starts off in a place called, uh, I'll just give you a excuse. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Do you know what country that is in today's world? Um... I think it was Persia at one time. It was Persia yes. at one time. I'm not sure what it is now, because it's split up into more than one country now. Iran. I think Iran. Okay. Well, I think you're right. There still is a city to this day with that name. Really? Yes. Really? Yeah. I did and not know that. I actually met and talked to a guy that is an American now, and he lived there. Uh, the other thing I was his name was, Abraham by any chance? <laughs> no. uh, his name was Muhammad, coincidentally. Oh, oh, oh I see. But yeah. uh, here's something. Now, I saw only in the interest of time, I'm going to jump along a little bit. There are three friends that come along, and that's one of the questions. Um, they come along to talk to uh, supposedly friends that support and want to talk to Job. And the one is Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Now, right. do you, uh, it's probably an unfair question, but do you know anything about those three guys? Uh, Eliphaz was a Temanite. A Terminite. Um, let's see. He's related the, to a... Uh, Bildad was a Shuhite. Shoe yeah, Bildad was the shortest man yeah. mentioned in the Bible, uh-huh. the Shuhite. It's <laughs> uh, a joke. No, it wasn't. <laughs> well, Eliphaz is actually and, the oldest son and so, of Esau. Yeah, and so far was a Namathite. Yes, he was. And his name, uh, Beldad, means Bel loved. In other words, Bel, the god Bel. Uh-huh. So you got these other guys bringing their religions. And then Zophar is uh, that it's really a town that he's named after. He's a Naamite. Nama. Nama. Uh-huh. And it's only mentioned one other time in the Bible, and it's in the book of Joshua in chapter 15. All right, but really? the first one you said about somebody is uh, the first guy. Eliphaz? He's the, did you know this, uh, Bernadette, that you said he's the son of... He's the, the oldest son of Esau. The first one mentioned... Eliphaz, uh, uh, the Temanite. Eliphaz. Eliphaz, huh? Eliphaz is the oldest son yes. of Esau. Esau. And, he, wow. and a part of the country he lived in was called uh, Tamiya or Temanite. And he was, that's where he was from. But he is the oldest son. Now, all three of these guys are not really friends of Job. They all bring their own religion, and they all start telling Job, you really are a sinner, you must repent. You know, if you, uh, don't worry, everything works out for the best for God. And these three theories, if you watch them really close, it's not dissimilar to what a lot of people say today. And then, but we'll see as the book of Job develops, they're not right. Well, I've just seen the, it, it just made me see that we think of Satan uh-huh. as the accuser. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what these three did, right? Yeah, they, that's right, yes. Wow. What, I, yeah. I had not yeah, they say, well, you, you must have done something. Yeah. God wouldn't be punishing you if you hadn't done something wrong, yeah, yeah, is what they're saying. And, and that we are, and the reason, it says, in all this, Job sinned not. It does not say that Job was not a sinner at some time in his life. Yeah. But I will tell you that it does say 
that when you go through, and now you understand Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, you, you repent, your sins are forgiven, so therefore, at that point, he's not a sinner. What a wonderful thought. You are so kind to call us, Bernadette. It is always good to hear from you. Folks, there's our music. We're going to have to be out of here. Next week, in, we get into the book of Job seriously and more in depth. But you've already gotten a good preparation for us tonight. God bless. See you then. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.